I'm so excited to be nominated. It's just an honor to be nominated. Honor to be nominated. Hi, I'm Chandler. I'm Ezra. And I'm Claudia, and you're listening to Honored to be Nominated, a new podcast coming at you every Friday discussing any movie that's ever been nominated for an Academy Award. We are continuing our watching of black directors in honor of Black History Month. Today we are going to cover Boys in the Hood, written and directed by John Singleton. Uh, Listeners... Um, that is the third or fourth time we've had to record this, and Claudia has said the exact has no script, has said the exact same thing like, with the exact same line reading every time because she is a trained actress, actress Mama. She honey, has her like, line reading. She is performing I have the camera. A BFA. <laughs> Claudia over here, like Keanu Reeves, don't miss a beat. Every take is the exactly the same. <laughs> yes, listeners, we're having some some technical difficulties. But we make it work. We're, we're, we make it work to come straight to your ears. Tell us, Ezra, what's this movie all about? I mean, what's it all about? Uh, so, Boys in the Hood. Um, first, I think it's important to talk about the sort of historical significance of this, which is John Singleton is the first black uh, director ever nominated for an Academy Award. There have been six total. Um, he's also the youngest uh, at, at, I believe, 23 to ever be nominated. Um, and before we and go that's on... That's trivia we- answer, friends. Ding, 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 ding. Um... Uh, one thing that I do just want to sort of highlight before we go on, because um, I do think it's an important piece of context, is um, we're talking about this film because of John Singleton, because of his contributions to uh, films writ large and black films specifically. Um, and he has now passed on, but shortly before his death, he was accused by a journalist um, of sexual harassment. Um, so obviously we stand with uh, any victims of sexual misconduct and... Uh, if those allegations are true, we, of course, condemn them and John Singleton's actions uh, therein. Uh, that all being put aside, uh, Boys in the Hood um, is Singleton's first film. Um, it follows uh, a young man um, played eventually by Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, who is, you know, ki- growing up kind of in a semi-rough neighborhood, is getting into trouble at school, is getting into fights, shit like that, and his mother... Uh, decides to send him to go live uh, with his father, played by Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, And it's just sort of the journey of him growing into a man in south-central L.A. uh, as he bonds with with two friends, uh, his his two best friends who are uh, half-brothers who live across the street, one of whom is played by Ice Cube, uh, and one of whom is played by... um, What's his name? Uh, Morse Chestnut. Uh, And... uh, Morris Chestnut um, plays Ricky, who is a uh, aspiring athlete, um, is a very like promising football player who is hoping to get a football scholarship to get him out of this uh, neighborhood. And Ice Cube is his half brother, who's kind of a little bit rougher, um, is you know more into you know the sort of drugs and violence. Um, it's a sort of unclear how deep Ice Cube's character's connection to the sort of gang activity in. Uh, LA goes but certainly he's more connected than the others and then uh, we sort of follow these three young men as they over the course of a, a week or two in the sum, uh, in the late uh, spring early summer as they sort of grow into men and we see all the sort of different traps that uh, can befall for lack of a better word boys in the hood um, none of us had ever seen this film before 
Uh, Chandler, what did you think of it? Um, I liked it a lot. I think I think it's really well directed. I think it's uh, really well acted. Um, uh, I, every single black star I think that was working in, in the <laughs> 1990s is in this film, At which this is time, fun. Yeah. I was like, oh, there's Regina King. Oh, there's Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, there's and so it's just it's everybody. Um, but it's I, I I really enjoyed this film. It's also very very depressing, um, mm-hmm. which I I guess is sort of a, you know is very much like what the director kind of wants you to take away about um, the American capitalist mistreatment of um, people of color. But it is it is very depressing in a lot of senses. But I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, Claudia, what did you think? Yeah, um, would this be a movie i turn on if we weren't covering it? Probably not. Is this a movie I'm going to revisit? Probably not, but I, I enjoyed it. I can recognize that it's really well made, really well acted. The writing really stood out for me, and um, several of the performances really stood out for me. It's it's hard to say like I love I liked this movie cuz like mm-hmm. Chandler just said it's it's about like such difficult topics to talk about um topics that like you know we know exist but then we just keep seeing it like come to fruition you just keep seeing it like happen on in real life as well as in movies and it's just you know it's exhausting to watch as a white woman so I I think I've said this be- in another episode but mm-hmm. I can't imagine how how this film must be to watch as a black person and specifically a black man totally yeah ezra what do you think yeah um i had also never uh, seen it before um and um for the first like third to between like the first third and the first half i kind of uh, struggled with it a lot because i felt like it was i was worried that it was going to end up kind of falling into a lot of this sort of stereotypes about um black people in urban communities and be like, oh, all they are is gangbangers and violence. And it, I was really worried it would become, you know, a quote unquote black on black crime movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what, like there are, you know, larger forces at play. We have to talk about the sort of intersection of uh, American imperialist capitalism. And, uh, and then uh, Lawrence Fishburne gives a monologue about how all of the problems in the, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, hurt are caused by American imperialist capitalism. And you know, I was like, up. oh, shit. And then, like, oh, after that... Great. I mean, and then after that, I was, like, just fully on board for, from then to the end, and I was really... I, it didn't fall into most of the traps I was really scared it would fall into, and the ending uh, really hit me. Um, I thought all the performances were, were, were quite good. Lawrence Fishburne we'll talk about at length, but I think gives one of the best performances as a father I've ever seen on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is an absolute crime that he was not nominated and probably should have won Best Supporting Actor. Um, I, I think it's an absolutely next-level performance. Yeah. That monologue um, is really, really be- great. I, I think it I think it sits in a good spot of the, part of the movie where um, he talks about like the gentrification and why, the, why is there a liquor store on every corner why is there a gun mm-hmm. store on every corner here that's just yeah that's just a really really good scene well and what i loved most about that scene i mean obviously like i agree with it but like <laughs> i think what i loved the most about that scene is that i think in a different movie it would have felt very preachy and i think that what's so interesting is that through the Lawrence fishburne character 
they have established a character-driven reason why this guy would be preaching, where this guy is just desperately trying to keep his community in general and his kids specifically out of trouble. And so is mm-hmm. really putting himself out there and is really explicitly preaching where he's like trying to get these things through to these kids. And so it allows Singleton as a writer to also just get very didactic and very like, I'm going to tell you the way the world works, but also you're like, oh, I believe this character would do this. And I also yeah. think that what's so good about Fishburne's performance is that you are, before you meet him, you're like, okay, he's, it's like, you're going to go live with your dad because you got in trouble. You're like, okay, I know, I know who this guy is. And it's like, yeah, his name is Furious. And you're like, I definitely know who this guy is. And like, even to a certain extent, I think on the page he's written is that, you know, I was reading some like reviews from the time and all these reviews described him as like an angry disciplinarian, which I guess is kind of how he's written, but not at all how Fishburne plays it. But Fishburne mm-hmm. plays it, I think, very gentle and very loving. And it's like stern at times, but you're like, always, you totally get that he loves his son, that he's very affectionate yeah. towards his son. And he's trying to be as like, and you just get a really good sense of he's like just a stand up fucking guy. Right? He's not perfect, yeah. but at the end of the day, he's a stand up guy. And I think there are, that's the hardest type of performance to do, I think, of just a guy who's just like, a character who's just good. Like he's yeah. just kind of an uncomplicatedly good guy. Yeah, and I the agree. scene. Spoiler alert! Uh, at the end of the film, when uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. is going to go out and avenge again. Spoiler alert, um, Ricky <laughs> and uh, Lawrence Fishburne is like, "Give me the fucking gun." He goes, "I'm sorry for his family, but you're my family. Give me the motherfucking gun." And it's yeah. just like, it was, like chills, like chills. Yeah. so so good. And like you know, Lawrence Fishburne is considered one of the best actors to ever play Othello. And you're like, yep, he's bringing it. He's like, all right, I'll, I'll do what needs to be done. <laughs> um, I think what also really works for me for that scene with where Lawrence Fishburne comes out and gives that sort of preachy quotation marks monologue um, is that they 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 give it to you through the guise of both like the old generation and the young generation mm-hmm. and like their reactions to those things because um, it. it because it does sort of put put it more into context and undercut that sort of preachiness of like being like, oh, you just preach and then the problems are solved. But then the young, you know, the younger generation is like, look, if somebody's gonna come up on me and shoot me, I'm gonna shoot back. Yep. I ain't gonna get killed. And it's like, yeah, I mean, like, absolutely. What else would you do? You're like, of course. It, it, and then you, know, you have these... the old guy who's like, well, yeah, you're the ones ca- causing all the problems. You're the one. You're the ones why our neighborhood's so like messed up. And then Lawrence first again is like, I mean, like. No, no, but I mean yes and no. Like we would rather us not be shooting people every night, but it, they're not the root problem. Right. Well, I, think, and, I think and that that's what's able to be addressed with that sort of like younger generation, older generation is it's like it's not these these dumb kids going out and like starting violence. No, it's that they live in a situation where this is something that the American government has heavily put into place where mm-hmm. where they American government is trying to push them into violence. And so it's, it's it, it is able to like juggle that very very like dialectical uh very very like nuanced approach I think really well with those two generations. Totally. And I think also what's interesting is that I think again in a lesser film that would have just been like the one scene where like John Singleton talks about politics and then it just goes back to the movie. But I think it has this like really, I think it echoes through the rest of the film to the end when um, Ice Cube goes and avenges his brother. You get it. Well, on the one hand, you are like, yeah, you are like at the end of the day, like they are, they did do a drive by shooting and then shoot a guy on the ground. Like there are, you know, to quote um, Lawrence Fishman at the beginning of the film, it's another dead brother. Right. But 
On the other hand, if someone fucking shoots my brother like they shot that guy, I'm also going to fucking kill them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you shoot my 17-year-old brother with a shotgun in the back, I'm going to want to kill you. And, like, you get it, because also, he very clearly establishes the cops aren't going to fucking help you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is one of the most oh. anti-cop films I've ever seen in my life. Because the cops, <laughs> anytime the cops just show up, it's just bad news. There's not, like, a fix. It just gets worse. There's never a thing. They just abuse and berate the uh, our main characters and then point a gun at them and then leave. That's it. Yep. And then, That's like, the only... straight up said the N-word to his face in the very yeah. beginning. And I was like, when he's a fucking oh. child. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I also think that's, a, that's that? a, a really good and sort of brave thing for this movie to do is it also establishes, because the only cop, like, one of the only cops that we see is a, 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 a cop of color. Cop of color? Is that... I mean, I think you can just say a black cop. A a black Black cop? cop. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Black Um, is not a bad word. It's just what came to my mind. (laughs) A black cop. And so it does establish that, like, no, it's not just, like, white cops. Like, black cops are just as bad. Like, if you put on that uniform, you're a pig. Like, that's it. End of discussion. And I think that's really well handled in this film. I think that was a very conscious choice that Singleton Mm -hmm. made because it just, it proves that it's not, at least when it comes to, or when it just, when it comes to, like violence like it's not about race it's about the fucking cops like the cops yep. suck <laughs> well and it really all cops sets- are racist yeah tr- truly and it also sets up this interesting like i feel com- comfortable saying this because chandler's already used the word dialectical but uh the feminist theorist marilyn fry developed um this theory of what's called a double bind where you are essentially damned if you do damned if you don't and it really shows the sort of like theoretical double double bind that these people are in. Where like literally they were just going out with their like friends on the town. And they got into a little bit of a skirmish where if you don't stand your ground, they're going to walk all the fuck over you, which is what we established with the football scene. So now there's this, now someone, so now you have to defend yourself. So you have to go and you have to do violence against them. Then you have to go, def- you have to go avenge your fallen literal brother, right? And you have to go and, like, show that you can't be pushed around. But you can't go to the fucking cops. But if you go and you do violence against them, you're just perpetuating the cycle. But if you don't do anything, then they're just going to walk all over you. And so, like, you get it. Like, it's, you really, like, and that's what I think is so great about, weirdly, Ice Cube giving a very grounded, genuine performance. I actually really loved his performance. Like, I'd say Oscar-worthy Ice Cube. Like, I really loved his performance. It's so grounded, and I was like, okay, Ice Cube, like, where are you coming from? He at least deserved a nomination. It is I crazy. Agree. Well, I was reading is that, like, the way they cast this movie is crazy. Because essentially, it was Singleton was working as a production assistant and security guard on, like, TV shoots, and found Lawrence Fishburne and Ice Cube through that. And then uh, all the other people were just, like... Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. and Morris Chestnut were just the first people to show up at the audition. Ha! Interesting. And I was the, say, how did this 23-year-old John Singleton like get all these like big names? Or I guess, no, but they so the thing names? is, none of them are big names. This is Cuba Gooding Jr.'s first role. This is... Um, Whoa, really? Uh, this is Angela Bassett's first film role. This what? Is, this is Ice Cube's first film role. No, bull. That's bull. They Wait, yeah. kill it. They no, all this like, is, um, his, they're seasoned the, professionals. And this is Regina King's this? first film role. What? This is Morris Chestnut's first film role. Yeah. Oh, so that's that makes this movie incredibly important. 
Yeah, I mean, like, this movie... I was unaware. Because I, I, I then was, like, you know, because I watched this on, on Amazon, and it was like, if you enjoyed this, you might enjoy it, you, you might enjoy this. It was like all these movies that have now become iconic, right? Like, Friday with, you know, um, Ice Cube, and or, like, uh, Menace to Society, or Juice with Tupac, and all of this, like, subgenre of movies about, like, inner-city black life exist because of Boys in the Hood. And essentially this yeah. whole subgenre that became so important in the 90s and brought us so many, like, incredibly important black actors is because of Boys in the Hood, to a lo- in large part. And what's interesting is I was like, oh, it's really cool that they cast Ice Cube in 1991 because this is right as he's in N.W.A., right? Yeah, this I'm is like, right after but apparent- N.W.A. comes out. But apparently the movie studio didn't know Ice Cube was in N.W.A. <laughs> And I was like, well, that's why they let him cast him. Because I was like, that's like, like true. Um, it's the group that did Fuck the Police. Okay. Straight out of Compton. Arguably the, arguably arguably the, the most, most important, important rap group, rap group, of, all group of all time. Arguably yeah. one of the most important music groups of all time. I would argue that, yes. Yes. <laughs> Essentially invented modern rap. Great. But what's interesting not- is... I'm not well versed in old school rap and its origins. Um, we should do uh, Straight Out of Compton, the biopic, which was nominated for we Best should. Screenplay, because um, it's a really good movie. But um, something that's interesting. Um, so weirdly, I'm a huge NWA fan, and I I love them a lot. Um, but um, Ice Cube in interviews would be because um, he was the primary lyricist for the group for their first album. Um, would always be questions like, "Why are you showing such? Why are you glorifying violence?" Um, in your music and he said we're not glorifying violence we are street reporters um, and that's how he described he, he described gangster rap as street reporting um, it is what's happening yeah that's yeah cool. and in a, in a very cool. interesting which is kind of how the how this movie feels because i was reading this at the time like they tried to like there were People were like, this is going to cause gang violence is going to be a gang war because of boys in the hood it's all about how it's glamorizing gang violence. They tried to the uh, the movie studio was faced with the option where they either had to pull the movie or per, or pay for extra security to every theater. And all these people were like, "It is ridiculous that John Singleton is glorifying gang violence." Which two things? One, in no way, shape, or form does this movie glorify violence. No, even a little it bit. Looks very bad. I would say two, the opposite. There are no that. gangs in this movie. No, like. You know, we, we can probably assume that Ice Cube's character may be part of a gang, but it's not like, he's, he's not like, yeah, I'm a member of the Crips, and that's the why, like, you can kind of assume that, like, probably that's part of the reason why this violence is happening. But it's not about gangs. It's just about black people in the inner city. It's not, there are no gangs. If, if this right. is, if so this So to make glorifies... that assumption is just racist. Correct. Yeah, 100%. Because <laughs> if this is glorifying gang violence, then so is every Martin Scorsese film. I would say this glorifies gang violence less than Martin Scorsese. I films. would agree. <laughs> like The Departed, absolutely glorifies gang violence more than this does. <laughs> Goodfellas, like what? I would. Th- this movie takes a very staunch stand against violence. I would argue. I, I would say that's the, kind no of the one, theme of the film. No yeah. critic ever says like any sort of Italian mafia is glorifying gang violence when uh-huh. that is exactly what it does. Because they love you to know, see it. They're white. They love that kind of violence. Yep, they're white. But, but again, I do just I do, I do just want to highlight that first, this film, literally, this film ends with the words on the screen, more peace. That's literally. one. Peace. 
Increase Gra- peace. Increase peace. Increase peace. peace. And this, and second, I just want to highlight this again. None of these characters are in a gang that we know of. They have a group of friends. Yeah. But it's well, not that's like they don't have, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like, and, and, Ice Cube and, has his buddies, but they're not, there's no, like, order, they're not drunk, like, they're not doing anything. Well, but no. Ice Cube also literally hands, like, the theme and dramatic question of the movie on a silver platter at the end of the film. He's like, yeah, I killed this guy to revenge my brother, and it didn't do anything. I feel terrible, like, I, this violence is just eating away at me. It's like, <laughs> like, I, I couldn't and have been, been more clear. Like, he was murdered two weeks later. Yeah, like... I, this movie could not be more clear anti-violent. Like, yeah. could not be more clear. This is not what these people want. They, they don't want their people dying. I, like, they want to live. Seeing seeing violence does not inherently glorify it. I think that's an absurd take. A, a slogan that a lot of people on film Twitter have begun to say that I think we need to say every time we discuss a movie is depiction is not endorsement. Correct. Just because you depict something does not mean you think it's a good thing to do. And I'm getting so goddamn exhausted with these Gen Z motherfuckers who are like, um, that movie's pretty problematic because one of the characters is racist. Yeah, man, it's about why you shouldn't do that. <laughs> what do you want? Just a bunch of perfect people existing in life? Seemingly, That's like, that would be so boring. Movie? Like, not to get so on my fuck Gen Z bandwagon, but also Gen Z is like, um, we don't need any sex in movies. Why is there any sex in movies? I'm like, you all need to go take a Xanax. What the fuck those are we doing? People, those are the same people that think that at the end of Wolf of Wall Street, it glorifies his behavior because he doesn't get punished. It's like, that is the literal point of that film. Is that rich people well, don't also, get punished. Also, not to get on a Wolf of Wall Street bandwagon, because we're definitely going like, to Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street. Wall Street. We definitely, okay. we definitely will do a Wolf of Wall Street pod. Oh, but it's also this exhausting thing where they're like, uh, I mean, it makes it makes that behavior look really fun. I'm like, yeah, man, being able to do a lot of drugs and treat women like shit for all, and do everything for your own enjoyment and not have any consequences when you're a fucking psychopath would be pretty fucking fun. That's the problem. The problem, it's not like, man, living a life of a Wall Street executive in the 80s would be terrible. No, it would be incredible. No. Because you have you have no care for anyone but yourself, and you have no consequences. You're exploiting the everyone. The problem is that that life is fun. World. Like, I don't know how much clearer that could be. I, it's just absurd. Yeah. People just don't. I, I feel like yeah. I don't know. It's people like that just don't really look at the like actual structure and theme of the movie. They just see a thing, and then therefore that's the thing. I don't know. It's weird. In the same way to bring anyway, it back so to the, Boys in the Hood. Yes. This movie without any I would gangs. Say, no gangs. I will no say gangs. that one thing that rubbed me a little bit the wrong way was its treatment of women, but I think it comes back, back to the same to thing. That is that I don't... Yeah. I mean, if John Singleton was sexually harassing interns and reporters, that does change the analysis of the movie slightly. Setting that aside, and just taking the text as the text... I would argue that I think it is about characters who don't super respect women because you have that really interesting scene between Lawrence Fishburne and Angela Bassett at the at lunch where she's like, no, you're full of shit, dude. And it's this interesting yeah. moment where you've always been like, oh, well, you know, she sent her son away. He's a really good dad. And you're like, yeah, no, he is full of shit. Like, yeah, you do have to make your yeah. son see his fucking mom. Let me chill out, Lawrence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think... Yeah, no- Go ahead, Claudia. 
I don't think it's I think you're exactly right, Ezra. I don't think it's John Singleton views women in a I mean, maybe he does if, if the allegations are correct, but like I it it felt like these characters don't get women or don't mm-hmm. understand how to treat women. Not and I think the way that the women responded, like I think it was Regina King's character is like, why do you always, why anytime you got to talk about female, you have to call us a bitch or a hoe. And like, so calling him out like proves that that's what we shouldn't do. Right. And so to some extent, John Singleton believes that, or we can assume. Um, But yeah, I agree. That is like the characters not understanding how to treat women versus the actual people. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Also, Angela Bassett should have won an Academy Award. Angela Bassett has no Oscar. We don't talk about about this enough. This woman does not have an an Academy Award. She doesn't have an Emmy or anything? Like, nothing? I I think she has an Emmy. Okay. Wasn't that technically Um, an Academy Award? uh, Fun fact, did you know who her husband is? Courtney B. Vance. Star of Stage and Screen. Courtney B. Vance, he is a very popular actor. Um, yeah, for me, it was it was the film was trying to make an attempt at um, sort of like the depiction thing, kind of like what they did with violence, but make an attempt at trying to make a statement about like women in in, for lack of a better word, the hood and like how toxic masculinity affects um sexism and yada yada but i just don't think it it worked like i think they they attempt like it, it sometimes it feels like there there was an attempt to sort of have a nuanced discussion about this but it just sort of falls short um and therefore doesn't handle it really well but that may could just be what i'm reading onto it um sorry just to go back to angela bassett quickly <laughs> angela bassett one of our finest living actresses how many Academy Award nominations do you think she has? Two. One. One? Five. One? She has one. Incidentally, the movie, so she was nominated for What's Love God Got to Do With It, which incidentally is also Lawrence Fishburne's only uh, not Oscar nomination. And it's no. the only time that the two, that the two black leads of a movie were nominated in the same year. The Lawrence only Fishburne time? only has one nomination? Uh-huh. Lawrence Fishburne's ever won an Oscar? Nope. He's one of our best. Mm-hmm. That's absurd. Um, this podcast is just <laughs> this podcast has just become white people being like, wait a minute, the Academy is racist? <gasps> and it's like, yeah. Uh, also, um, Angela Bassett, also Angela Bassett doesn't have an Emmy. <laughs> Despite being nominated one, two, three, what, re- four, five, she's been nominated for seven Emmys and lost them all. What about Regina King? What the fuck? She got anything going? Regina for King. Regina King just won an Oscar like two years ago. Oh, did she? Okay, well, at yeah. least someone from this movie has a fucking Oscar. I can't believe they didn't nominate Lawrence well, Fishburne for this movie. It's I crazy. I really can't believe they didn't nominate like all of the actors. I kind of agree. I mean, the acting is like the strongest part for me. Yes, to me too. I I don't think I don't think Cooper Good and Junior should have been nominated, but other than that, I agree. I love him. I loved him in this. I thought he was solidly fine. 
That's fair. I like him. I, maybe but, I just like him. But Chestnut, Ice Cube, Fishburn, like, I feel like all of those people deserved nominations. What were you going to say, Ezra? I was going to say, just an interesting fact is that the, the movie that Cooper Gooding Jr. won his Oscar for, Jerry Maguire, another movie we should do on the podcast, uh, Regina King plays his wife in that movie. Oh, love. I have never seen Jerry Maguire. Oh, you would like Jerry Maguire a lot, Chandler. I have not either. It's like what a little rom-com. Oh. oh, is it? <laughs> um, it's Tom Cruise. Uh, it's a Cameron Crowe film. One of my favorite dead directors, even though he's very much still alive. Um, but he, he just hasn't made a good movie in 20 years. Um, but no, so it's uh, Jerry Maguire is about uh, Tom Cruise, who plays a high-powered sports agent, um, who has like a nervous breakdown and, de- and decides that uh, they're all just like exploiting each other and it's all bullshit. So he quits to try and do things in a new way, but the only client who goes with him is Cooper Gooding Jr. Um, and then as he's just trying to like pick, uh, put his life back together and like, you know, get back in the saddle of being a sports agent by managing Cooper Gooding Jr., he falls in love with Reese Withers. Not not Reese uh, Witherspoon, uh, Renee Zellweger, hmm. who was a who was a single mom trying to make ends meet. And this is Jerry Maguire is the one where he slides in in his underwear and it's like the kind of like no, that's, that's risky business. Risky business. I'm sorry. Never mind. I watched that for the first time recently. It's just fun. I also so like I said before, this movie's really depressing. Um, this movie's really depressing for a lot of reasons. I mean, uh, but also for the fact that like. This movie came out, what, 1991? Yep. And this could have been made yesterday, and nothing uh-huh. has changed. Yep. Uh, for race relations in American capitalist, imperialist uh, USA. Oh, no, Chandler, it's changed. It's it's gotten worse. Indeed. Yes. Well, so I, I mean, arguably, so you're not wrong. Changed. That's true. That is true. Uh, because not only do they have to deal with... Uh, uh, the American system trying to destroy their community. They also have to deal with COVID, which the American system is also not helping them with at all. So, uh, I guess it is worse. However, I, I do want to say my favorite line in the whole film is during Lawrence Fishburne's speech, where somebody talks about crack, and he's like, how did I get here? We don't have planes. <laughs> I like, love that. Is, and I was like, you know, not to, you know, promote Chen and I's spinoff podcast, uh, America, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Um, but, um, <laughs> and our, and our, this is a big our, fuck Ronald Reagan movie. Yes, yes. Our 30-part Reagan miniseries on that podcast. <laughs> I Honestly, 30 part. they don't have to be like 30 hours each. 30 parts is not enough to go through the list of, <laughs> of crimes against well, humanity that, that just Ronald Reagan alone did. <laughs> but that's a great line. The uh, How did the crack get here? We don't have planes. I'll tell you who, how it got there. A little man named Ronald Reagan and the CIA. <laughs> uh, and they did it so they could fund uh, revolutionary uh, uh, revolutionaries of the bad kind in, in Latin America, so they could sell more fruit. Claudia just learned about banana republics. I fun. just learned about the banana republic yesterday. <laughs> it's no good. It's all bad. It's so good. Also, not a good clothing store. Fuck them. Anyway, boys yeah. in the hood. What's crazy about about this movie for me? I mean, a lot of things, but like. 19, 1991, we're like, we finally got a black person nominated for Best Fucking Director. And it does not happen again until 2009. So, 18 years. 
18 years, we just pretend like black people weren't making films. And I want to highlight that Malcolm X came out two years later. Yeah. Yeah. And to this day, it is now 2021, a, a black person still has not won an Oscar for directing. A black person not won an uh, Oscar for directing, and no black woman or any woman of color has ever been nominated for an Academy Award in directing. Like, just disgusting. And it's, I still can only count on basically one hand how many black directors were even just nominated. Basically yeah. one hand. Six is still basically one hand, in my opinion. And and it's on a five that, how and many, a thumbs up. And on that, how many uh, people of color have even won a Oscar in, uh, Oscar for directing in general? I know Alfonso, Guillermo. Uh, um, Inuritu. Uh, Inuritu. That's it? Ang Lee. And Bong Joon-ho. Bong Joon-ho. I'm sure there's that might be maybe it. one more. Maybe. This is the Academy. We might be adding one on there that wasn't that didn't actually win. But No, no. All, 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 but also what's interesting is that uh, Alfonso, who is a Mexican, won twice. Inuritu, who is Mexican, won twice. Ang Lee, who is uh, Asian, won twice. Um, so there are, like, they, they have a lot of statues, but yeah, it's yeah. no good. Guillermo won twice, and, right? Uh, Guillermo del Toro? No, Guillermo only won once. Okay. Um, what is interesting, though, is, uh, I guess, spoiler alert, next month um, we're going to be focusing on female directors who are nominated. and it's even more mad. Well, so because what's so interesting, right, is that I think the problem that we keep we ran into a little bit two weeks ago with uh, "Do the Right Thing" and we're running into a little bit this week is these films uh, depictions of women um, that I think even when they're well intentioned can sometimes be a little problematic. And I suspect what we're going to find next month is all these white women don't always necessarily portray race at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> at <and> so, all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, Lord. Uh. So it's no good. Also, I mean, I think this is important. No queer directors of color have been nominated. And no, uh, no queer women, not. as far as we're aware. Of course Actually, is We haven't even gotten... Movie? He might be gay. We I'm, I'm, that, black... I might have just, just lied to you. We haven't even gotten a black director yet. You think they're going to be okay with the queers, too? No. You can't have a double... One you, step this is at America. a time, Ezra. Yeah, one minority at a We're time. You can't have double minorities in America. We're just moving on to getting non-white people anything. Yeah. Anything. Look at all these white sorry, people making art. They deserve men. it. I mean, it's really... I'm sorry, it's uh, really... Lee, Lee Daniels, who is the second black man ever nominated for Best Director, is gay. So I, I apologize. Okay. Okay. Well, that's... So some... we got one. Still didn't win. Still didn't win. We still only got one. We got one. <laughs> one. Everybody. How many years hey. have the Oscars been happening? Uh, Upwards like of 90. 93. Cool. 93 cool. or something so like that. Almost a century of, of films to award. What is? I can't find but one black, black gay person. queer director. I mean, true. What and is like, have we even had like a trans? Oh, no. The Wachowski sisters. Have they? They weren't nominated. Have they never been nominated? No. The Wachowski sisters have made some of the most important seminal films. But the Matrix? They were nominated for The Matrix? No, girl. <laughs> oh, now, Lord what I find heaven. interesting is I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for, for Best Director. I'm in the diversity section. 
and it's like Asian nominees slash winners. You're like, okay, black nominees. And you're like, okay, okay. Latin American nominees slash winners. You're like, cool. And then the next one is Oceanic nominees, which are just people from New Zealand and Australia. So like Peter Jackson. I'm like, I don't know if Peter Jackson is a symbol of diversity in Hollywood, yeah. right? Like, I'm not sure, like, yeah. thank God we gave a white, straight, cis man from New Zealand an Academy Award. He's really the one. Well, no, and in the I, back, you were nice and diverse there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know Peter Jackson's heritage. I don't know if he has any, like, Maori lineage, but I don't think so. So what I don't know. Is I think seven... he's one of the white British colonists and descendants. Mm-hmm. Seven uh, oceanic uh, directors have been nominated for, for Academy Awards, which is one more than the amount of black directors. So we've had more directors from Australia and New Zealand nominated than we have had women or black people from any country. Well, Taika Waititi was nominated, and he is a person of color, so... No, he wasn't. What? Taika Waititi was not nominated. For Jojo Rabbit? He he was nominated for screenplay. He was nominated for director. Yo, what is this? (laughs) Yo... I can't. I, what is what is the academy even doing? I just don't understand how they can le- like like make their lists every year and just be like, yeah, we got five white straight guys on that list. We're good. Like, I don't understand. The Wachowski sisters have never won an this. Sorry, this podcast to turn into not boys in the hood. The Wachowski sisters have Derailed. never won an Oscar. Well, no. Um. But also, what is interesting is that this year is the first year um, in a long time that people think that it is possible that more than one woman could get nominated. And it is possible. Wow. And it would require... It would require two big snubs. But it is not impossible that there could be no white men nominated for an Oscar this year for Best Director. It's probably not going to happen, but that's not impossible. And it's possible that we can have a majority non-white men. And has that ever happened? No. ending. <laughs> well, so like, if if history is any indication, I wouldn't I wouldn't put your money on it. Yeah, but um, actually, interestingly, Regina King, a lot of people think might get nominated for Best Director this year. Really? For mm-hmm. uh, One Night in Miami. One Night in Miami. How was that? Um, it was fine. <laughs> Want to talk about Boys in the Hood instead? Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To quote Liza Minnelli about the Judy Garland biopic, I hope they had fun making it. Boys in the Hood. My man Lawrence Fishburne. So good. Is so goddamn good. Like, anytime he's on screen, he's like, actually, this movie's about me. And you're yeah, like, actually, I I'm the protagonist. You're like, I don't think it is. And he's like, that. And you're like, I guess it is, as you were, Furious. More about you, please. <laughs> he has the coolest name. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Lawrence Fishburne? Oh, it's a great name. Mm-mm. I mean, his his real name is, is cool, too, but I'm talking about his character name. Furious Skyler. Furious Skyler. Do Style. you know how John... What was it? Furious... Styles, I believe. Styles. That's even cooler than what I said. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. It's the best name ever. So cool. Do you know how John Singleton met Lawrence Fishburne to get him to do the movie? He was a production assistant. Yeah. 
on PB's Playhouse. No Wait, what? Way. Yes. That's so funny. And he met Ice Cube because he was a PA on the Arsenio Hall show. The Wachowskis weren't nominated so for like funny. V for Vendetta. <laughs> they didn't direct v-, v for Vendetta. Yeah, they did. No, they, they wrote didn't. It? They co-wrote it. Oh, well. Okay. I mean, the sort so of understanding on the street. The sort of understanding on the street is that the Wachowskis directed V for Vendetta, but just won't admit to it. Technically, another director has is listed as the director of V for Vendetta. The sort of oh. understanding is that he did not direct it. But did they get nominated for the screenplay? I don't know. Great. Sorry. Back. Back to the movie. That just blows my mind. Should we move on to Should It Have Won? Uh, yeah. I was about to go on a whole rant about how we need more black trans filmmakers. Oh, actually, on that, one thing about, since this has now become the three white people get mad about um, diversity in Hollywood, uh, which maybe is, maybe maybe we need more podcasts where white people do get mad about diversity in Hollywood, because certainly we're the people who should be getting mad about us, because we're the ones who have the power to change things. But, um, I think it's interesting, because I was looking at you know, John Singleton, he's the first black director, he's the youngest director ever nominated for an Oscar, and I was like, oh, look, let's look at what his career was, and he just kind of didn't have the career that you would expect a director who had such a sort of promising debut to have. Like, he made a movie called Poetic Justice that is a romantic comedy starring Janet Jackson and Tupac, and Tupac? that I'm very yeah. excited to watch, because it looks Same. wild. Same. But, like, other than that, he directed one Fast and the Furious movie, and then did, like, a bunch of thrillers that nobody likes, and then did a couple TV shows that nobody really likes, and then he died. And it's, you know, he he died young. He was only, I think, in his 50s. But it is, you know, I think it's a very sad sort of state of affairs about Hollywood of that, like, he was never able to, I think, have the career that he, sh- that he should have had. Um, yeah, right. And that, you know, I want to see more... I want to see what Boys in the Hood 2, not literally Boys in the Hood 2, but, like... What is his, like, follow-up to this? And instead, he kind of fell into making, you know, action flicks. He made Too Fast, Too Furious, right? Which is like, you know, get your money, do do what you want to do. But I, I just wish that we could have that we could have, have had more space in general, but more space specifically at that time for black filmmakers to go and make intimate, human-centric dramas like I think Boys in the Hood is. Uh, and I, it, look, it looks like from, from the description Poetic Justice is as well, but kind of most of his other films aren't. Um, and again, if, if that's what he wanted to make, then more power to him. But I kind of suspect he was put into a box of, oh, you make black films about people in the hood. We're only going to give you movies about black people in the hood. Um, that I think probably he got less and less power as his career went on to actually control the quality of. And I think probably get increasingly less authentic as they go on, which I think is really sad. And I think it's, you know... Yeah. I think we talk a lot about diversity in Hollywood, which is, I think, obviously important. Um, And I think we often talk about it as a, you know, how do we show young filmmakers that they can, young artists in general, that they can have a career, which is obviously incredibly important. But the other thing that I always think about is because we live in such a racist, classist, sexist, transphobic, homophobic society, of how many great artists did we lose because we never let them get in the chance. We never let them get in the door. How many great 
works of art could we have if John Singleton had been able to get a blank check and make whatever the fuck movie he wanted to make? What like what would he have done, right? Like what you know, if we had if there were black trans women who were directing high profile films getting Oscar nominations, what movies would those be if we got you know, if Lawrence Fishburne was able to win an Oscar and go on to have the career that Daniel Day Lewis had, what sort of performances would he would he have turned in? And it's I think a uh, you know, if An- Angela Bassett should have the career that Meryl Streep has, and she doesn't. Um, yeah. And I think it's a loss, obviously, for the individuals, and also, I think, for the culture at large. Uh, yeah, so I think it's important that we have diverse work, both because it's important to, like, have diverse stories and show, di- and show people of different backgrounds that can have a chance, but also because I think it increases the quality of art generally. Yeah, that's sort of this, my speech about John Singleton. Anyway. You don't want... Should have <laughs> You don't want to. You don't. You don't want more remakes with the same four white actors over and over again. You leave Emma Stone and Cruella Deville alone. <laughs> or Clint Eastwood directing more movies. Uh, yeah, you don't. That want man. That. They're gonna have to carry him out. <laughs> Why? Why is you Clint Eastwood still? You don't want Mel Gibson making more movies. Well, I guess like. Obviously, like, we're joking around it and being silly, but at the end of the, is that I, I, I worry, to go back to my Malcolm and Marie rant from last week, is that I worry that a lot of times we take, we need more diverse filmmakers as we need less white filmmakers, and I don't agree with that, is that I think that, I think everybody should be able to make a movie, right? And, like, and obviously I'm a communist, and so I think it comes down a little bit to that, but, like, <laughs> if you're a cis white dude who wants to go make a movie about being a cis white dude i think you should be allowed to do that i just don't want every movie to be about being a cis white dude you know what i mean yeah and so like it's not like if clint eastwood wants to go make his weird fucking movies about being a drug meal at 90 more, more go, go with god more more power to you right it's like you know more art i think we just need more art and it's not about i think and i think that by falling to that it becomes like uh, well I, i'm sorry but i liked Clint Eastwood's drug meal movie. How dare you? It's like you can like you can like whatever fucking movie you want. No one's telling you you have to not like something. It's just about like why can't we get Spike Lee's drug meal at ninety movie? You know what I mean? And like I just want to see I just want to see more stories. And if you know the cis white straight dudes will always be able to tell their stories, and I will I will defend till my last breath their right to tell their stories. I just want other people to be able to tell their fucking stories too. Uh, So yeah. Anyway. Anyway, uh, this has been. Should it have won? Should have won. Yes. And the Oscar goes to. So, Boys in the Hood was nominated for two Academy Awards, both for John Singleton. Uh, Only best two. Original... Only two. Yeah. <sighs> Go on. Um, best original screenplay. The nominees are Grand Canyon by Lawrence Kasdan and Meg Kasdan. The Fisher King by Richard LaGravins, Le- La Bugsy by James Toback, Boys in the Hood by John Singleton, and Thelma and Louise by Callie Corey, which wins. Um, a lot of people really love Thelma and Louise. You don't. You're not one of those people, are you? I am not one of those people. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I don't hate it. I'm not like, cancel Thelma and Louise, set it on fire, but it's. I'm just like, I think I'm good. So I would give this to Singleton, but I haven't seen Fisher King or whatever the fuck Grand Canyon is. I feel like I've heard of Grand Canyon, and I don't know why. It is a 1991 drama film 
uh, by Lorenz Kasdan and his wife, featuring an ensemble cast. It is about random events affecting a diverse group of people exploring the race and class-imposed chasms which separates members of the same community. That sounds kind of good, actually. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah. Starring like Danny Glover, this... Ke- Kevin Klein, and Steve Martin. Oh. Okay. I really like the screenplay of the of Boys in the Hood. I think it's the strongest point for me um, after the acting, and the acting mm-hmm. is only that good because of the screenplay, in my opinion. So I would have given this to Mr. Singleton, but that's just me. Yeah, I agree. Um, the other the nominees for Best Director are Ridley Scott for Thelma and Louise, Oliver Stone for JFK. Barry Levinson for Bugsy, John Singleton for Boys in the Hood, and Jonathan Demme who wins for Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I mean, you gotta give it to... I mean, Jonathan Demme directing Silence of the Lambs is one of the all-time great direct... Like, one of the best directing yeah. jobs ever. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, it's I can't tough. T- I can't take away this Oscar for my favorite movie. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I think John Singleton's directing is really, really good, though. I think he definitely yeah, deserves totally. his nom. And, like... Especially for a debut, like yeah, totally. And, and that's the thing is, I think I think the reward for this debut is the nomination. I think yeah. Demi. I mean, you know, and this is like Demi, like the middle of Demi's career. He's like he's a more developed filmmaker, right? And like absolutely. I think it's a shame that we never got to see what Singleton Silence of the Lambs would be. Absolutely. Hundred <sighs> percent. It is crazy that none of the actors could get in. Could get in though. I know that's insane. Especially because, as far as I can tell, all four acting categories are made up entirely of, say it with me, white people. Cis, white, men. (laughs) Um, Ben Kingsley is not white. Okay. But other than that, everyone is white. Cool. You found one other person. Speaking of Silence of the Lambs, has anyone watched Clarice yet? Oh, no, because I, I... I love myself and I want to be happy. <laughs> I have not watched it yet, but I, I really want to. I've heard it's bad, but I don't care. Of course I just it is. See. Have you seen no the sequels, Claudia? No, I haven't seen any sequels because I know it. I feel like it would. Well, oh, no. You mean like the good sequels? Like, are there good sequels? So I haven't I'm seen. I'm afraid they're just going to ruin the movie for me. I haven't so I seen any, watch... any of the sequels. I have heard okay. they're all bad. To the point that Jodie Jody Foster refused to come back to them because they have... They turn it yeah. into a romance between Clarice and Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Um, that being said, the prequel is excellent. Uh, Manhunter is really, really good. Yes. I have seen that. And that is with... Um, why is his name slipping my mind? Brian um, Cox from Succession. Oh, it's not with... Um, Anthony the, Hopkins? The no. Guy- Anthony Hopkins, yes. I was like, what no, it is Brian Cox who plays the dad on Succession playing Hannibal Lecter. Oh shit! And it's, Whoa, interesting. And he actually played it, it played it first, and it is a very di- and plays him like a English gentleman, in a way that's like a really sort of interesting portrayal. Hmm. I need to watch that. That sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking Chan- of watching, what yeah. have we been watching, friends? Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Chandler, what have you been watching? Uh, uh, 
Not all at once, Chandler. Um, I haven't. Um, <laughs> I haven't really. I've just been working my way through Grace and Frankie, because Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin are fabulous. Um, and then, other than that, I've just been playing a lot of Legend of Zelda because I'm replaying all the games. Uh, t- tune in for our new video game podcast. Um, but yeah, I don't. No. I haven't been. That's Not about thing. it. Same. I think. Claudia, what have you been watching? Um, I feel like I've been watching a couple things. Nice little variety. Um, as far as my partner and I, we're working through the most recent season of Disenchanted, which just dropped about a week ago on Netflix. I know people aren't a huge fan of that animated series. It's not my favorite, but it's still fun. And I, um, I really like Abby Jacobson. So, yeah, been watching that. And then... Ezra and I and my partner watched Wolf Walkers, which was very fun on Apple TV+. It is my fourth favorite film of 2020. I think it's a fucking masterpiece. Oh, yeah. yeah that was supposed was to be really, good, really wasn't it? It was really, gorgeous. It was gorgeous. It, and it's, it the story is, is ten like times the film soul is, in my opinion. Wow. I don't know if I would go that far. I, I liked it a lot. I'd say they're like... They're equal for me. Like I Ten, ten times... I, w- I would say I liked it significantly more than Soul, and I loved Soul. Okay. And then my last watch um, to celebrate Valentine's Day, since we can't do anything still, uh, my partner and I watched Crazy Rich Asians for the first time, which was oh. very fun. Yeah, I mean, it's like purely a rom-com, like, yep. don't don't go into it expecting anything, but super, super fun. I know. Yeah. Um, so I have been watching a lot, um, so I'm going to go through them quickly. I've been trying to um, catch up on some stuff before the Oscars. Um, just to run through my diary, um, I, I watched uh, Golden Exits because um, I'm trying to watch all the Alex Ross Perry movies, um, which is a, a really fun one. I watched a movie called Electric Children that I really recommend that is about a girl uh, played by Ozark's Julia Garner who is um, being raised in a conservative Mormon cult and becomes convinced and then becomes pregnant and becomes convinced that she is carrying uh, the second coming of Christ. Um, despite the fact that she's almost certainly a victim of sexual abuse. Um, I watched Better Than Chocolate, which is a lesbian rom-com from the 90s um, that I really loved a lot until a cis man playing a trans woman came in and I turned it off. Um, I watched 24-Hour Party People, which is a film from 2002 that is just fine. Uh, I watched Judas and the Black Messiah, which I thought was good, not great. Um, I watched Wolf Walkers, which I loved a lot. I watched On the Rocks, which people think Bill Murray's going to get an Oscar nomination for. I think it's one of the worst movies of the year. Um, I watched I watched Welcome to Chechnya, which is a um, Best Documentary player. People think it's going to get nominated for Best Documentary and potentially Best Visual Effects. It's about the genocide against gay people in Chechnya. Um, it's very important. Uh, not necessarily... It's, it's a very important movie, especially if you don't know about what's happening in Chechnya. Um, I did know about what's happening in Chechnya, and so, like, 30 minutes in, I was like, yeah, I get it. They're killing gay people in Chechnya, and there's just a lot of videos of them, like, brutally murdering gay people. And I'm like, I, th- I think I'm good with this movie. Um, but it's on HBO. Chechnya is. It's in Russia. Um, but it, it's worth a watch, because what's happening there is really fucked. Uh, as a palate cleanser from that, I watched Carrie Fisher Wishful Drinking, uh, her stand-up show, which is really fun. Uh, I watched Night on Earth, which features Winona Ryder as a butch lesbian taxi driver. 
Um, I watched La Llorona, um, which is Guatemala's submission for Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, and then I also watched, uh, largely with Claudia's partner, but then partially on my own, the entirety oh, yes. of the of the television series Ted Lasso, uh, which is about Jason, Su- which was nominated for a bunch of Golden Globes and SAGs and whatnot. It's about uh, Jason Sudeikis, who is a American college football coach who gets a job coaching Premier League soccer in England, despite the fact that he knows nothing about soccer and has never played. Uh, 10 out of 10, really good show. Can't wait for season two. Watched all of it within 12 hours. Wow. That's insane. Also, how many fucking movies was that that you watched in seven days? Like 13, something like that. Wow. A lot of them I watched half of and it was like, I think I'm good, and then turned off. In fairness. So that's what, like, you like watching like fair. two movies a day or something? Yeah, g- uh, give or take. My uh, depression average, has gotten yeah. so bad that I can't focus on anything. And so I often will watch 30 minutes of a movie and then turn it off because I am too depressed to focus. And then I just watch four episodes of America's Next Top Model and feel bad about myself because I'm a bad consumer of culture. Um, I recommend I recommend playing a game like Legend of Zelda because it's very task-oriented and so it helps your depression. Uh, see, I'm playing Last of Us Part Two right now, which is one of the best video games I've ever played. Uh, but it is not a game to play while depressed. I wouldn't imagine <laughs> so. That. I wouldn't imagine <laughs> so. Knowing that game and how depressing the first one was, I wouldn't imagine going through grueling hours of 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 life threatening depression would not be fun to play while depressed. The second one is more depressing and wow. better, but more depressing. Yeah, I need to play it. Um, I'll probably play it after I... The second one has the coolest twist... The second coolest twist I've ever seen in a video game. Really? Yeah. Don't tell me. Um, no. I can't believe... Uh, I heard Judas and the Black Messiah was good. It is good. Okay, you just didn't love it. I'm very excited to watch it. Yeah, I... One of my most anticipated movies of the year. So I watched it to write a review on it. So I watched it with a very sort of critical eye, intentionally. Okay. Um, and... I also, but I also have some like artistic, I also have like, I have political criticisms of it, but I also have artistic criticisms of it in that I think it's 30 minutes too long. Um, and that like about halfway through, I was like, oh, we're almost done, right? And then I was like, oh, we have an hour left. And it felt like there was more movie than there was story a little bit. Sure. Uh, yeah. And so then there becomes like this 20 minute section of just watching random Black Panthers you've never met get gunned down by the cops. That felt Yikes. a little bit icky because you're just seeing angry black men with guns, and like there's a scene where a black panther you've never seen before, or if you've seen before as a very minor character, shoots a cop as he's begging for his life. In a way, you're like, I don't really know why that scene's in the movie. And it, it mm. felt like, well, we got to show that the black panthers were bad too. Is how it felt to me. I don't know if that's the intention, but because then there's also a scene where like the cop feels bad, and you're like, I don't fucking care. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Don't, don't show me a cop feeling bad. Oh. But uh, Daniel Kaluuya is going to win his Oscar for it, and he should. He's so fucking incredible as Fred Hampton in that movie. That's like the only reason. Like, I mean, not the only yeah. reason, but I really want to see Keith. it for him. No, yeah, it's, I it's see it definitely. Him and Keith. Yeah, and yeah. It, it has, it, it's, it's a good movie that I think everyone should see. It's on HBO. I don't think. It's not, it's not to me a 10 out of 10 movie, but it's like an 8.5, 9 out of 10. So, like, Which is worth a watch. High, for sure. high enough. Yeah, that 100%. makes me a little sad. And people should watch it. That makes me a little sad because it was one of my my most anticipated films of the year, and to hear that a Fred Hampton pick is a little pro is a little like cops aren't so bad makes me a little sad. Well, the other issue is that Fred Hampton's a supporting character. 
Hmm. Okay. And so they right. they make the FBI informant who sold him out the hero. And the other big issue with it, like sociopolitically, is Fred Hampton was twenty one when he was murdered by the FBI, and the informant was seventeen when he was forced into being an informant by the FBI. And they cast Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, who are both actors in their late twenties, early thirties, which like meaningfully like. It is a different movie if you're watching a 21-year-old get shot in the fucking head than if you're watching Daniel Kaluuya, a grown man in his 30s. Like, it's, it's still bad. Yeah. And it's and it, and this, in the same way, like, Lakeith Stanfield being coerced into becoming a police informant is one thing when he's a man in his mid-20s. It's a totally different thing if he's a 17-year-old, which is what happened. Yeah. Where they brought in a 17-year-old, they put him next to a room where they were torturing a black man, and they said, if you don't turn state's evidence, we're going to do this to you. Wow. Yikes. Yikes. But it is very anti-FBI, and it shows you all the fucked up shit the FBI did to the Black Panthers, well, which is some crazy that's shit. Good. Um, since this episode has been all over the place, one other thing I have <laughs> also been watching slash following very carefully uh, is the Bachelor Nation uh, the racist controversy. So... Alright, so for the listeners um, who are part of Bachelor Nation, um, long story short, one of the front runners of the current season of the of The Bachelor, who just happens to be the only white girl left, which just is like the cherry on top, has been there have been there's evidence of her like at a plantation themed party in college back in 2018 so not that long ago after we all graduated college to be clear yeah a plantation themed party at a plantation for her sorority this she is now the only white woman left in the current like running and remember like this is pre-recorded so it's it's really weird to like this all just came to light and then he like gives her a rose and you're like but she's fucking racist she has since apologized her apology is is well written and you know is a call to action so it's something we it's it's something but chris harrison on the other hand was trying to excuse her behavior several times chris harrison is the like producer and like head of bachelor nation and many bachelor like former bachelor contestants and members have come forward and been like chris harrison we're done with your bullshit basically um you know you can't excuse this because basically he literally said oh is was this a bad look is this a bad look now or was it a bad look in 2018 i'm like that's a bad look like no matter what like so because I'm, I'm sorry just 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 to aside. underline this this woman in the year of our lord 2018 which is two years after barack obama stopped being president yeah. decided to not only go she went to a plantation bad, bad. That, that was hosting a plantation themed party worse worse and, and decided to go in blackface the worst she was in blackface Oh yeah, Mama. She was fully in blackface. Fully well, in blackface. That's that's a little extra cherry on top. That uh, uh, 2018. She was in blackface. Yep. 2018. No. And then Chris Harrison said no. it was a different time. I was like, it wasn't that much of a different time. Dude, we were all living in 2018. It was three years ago. She yeah. was not. 
fully, really. Blackface in 2018, that's still a thing? <sighs> this yeah. is America. But so Chris Harrison has has stepped aside for a period of time. He's oh, not even whatever. like fully leaving because he can't give up his fucking paycheck, apparently. But anyway, I've been following that, so that's exciting. But what's more exciting is that we have a new we have another episode coming at you next week so be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on next week we'll be covering fences to round out our black history month that's all we have for you today thank you so much for uh, listening. i'm sorry Follow i'm sorry on- I, i'm sorry guys uh some breaking news some breaking film news oh, oh no Rush so netflix has just announced a new tv series that is a origin story <laughs> set for a Wednesday Adams of the Adams family <laughs> set at a boarding school directed by Tim Burton. <laughs> what? Um, Who's okay. playing Wednesday? All, Do they know? They have not announced it. All media okay. now is just a fucking Mad Libs. It's name a name a famous film film person, name a beloved property, pick a random setting. Uh, Emma Stone as Cruella DeVille in London in the 1970s. And you're like, what? Oh. It's like, yeah, Emma Stone, Cruella DeVille, before she was killing dogs, she worked, She was a fashion designer. And you're like, was she? And you're like, yes, yeah, she is, $100 million. <laughs> Wednesday Adams, she's at a boarding school. Tim Burton, you're... <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> That's so funny. The Witch King in, in uh, Brazil, tax fraud. That's the movie. It's like, what? That's the movie. No, and it, it's like, Pedro Pascal, you are the guy in The Last of Us. It's on HBO in the summer. Let's go. And you're like, wait, who was asking for The Last of Us TV show? And they're like, everyone. And you're like, I don't think anyone, everyone actually. Is. I don't think a single human. I don't think a single I'm person was like, it, what was Wednesday Adams doing when she was at boarding school? I'm Whatever, I'll probably watch it. Anyway, that's all we have for you. Subscribe, follow us on Instagram, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye! Bye! Bye.